how does Moses make his tea? He brews it. <laughs> There's some joy in the house today. A little bit coming through. Maybe the joke didn't help. Maybe more despair. I told Lily I wouldn't start with a joke. I'm cheeky like that. Yeah, receive this scripture today and this prayer for you from Ephesians 3. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. God's glory walked with Adam and Eve. It shone from Moses' face so much he had to wear a veil. It went before the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. God's glory passed before Moses on the mountain and declared the name of the Lord. God's glory filled the tabernacle and the temple. God's glory dwelt between the wings of the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. David loved to gaze on God's glory. Isaiah heard the angel say that the earth is full of his glory. Elijah and Daniel had visions of God's glory. God's glory shone whilst the angels sang at Christmas. God's glory took on flesh as Jesus and walked on the earth. Jesus was transfigured into God's glory. And Jesus prayed that he would give his glory to those who believe in him. Paul said that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another and that all creation is groaning for us to obtain that glory. God's glory is all through the Bible and I've found it hard to pin down how to define it. We can say like what it is, but how to define it, it just seems to be all of God's presence and it can't be taken away from it. Where God's presence is, his glory is. And we can describe it as, as being heavy or as bright. But we also talk about heaven being glory. And it, one day there will be no sun because his glory will be our sun. And it will be shine all day long and all night long. It's hard to kind of define what it is, but it's there. And it's in the Bible and it's his whole presence it is who he is, his glory. So that was God's glory through the history of the Bible. But where do we fit in? Where is God's glory now? It's one of those things that we find in the Bible that it's both our past, our present, and our future. It's one of those things that always has been, always is, and always will be uh, with us. In John 17, Jesus prayed, The glory that you have given me, I give to them. In Romans 8, 
It says, those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, made into the image of his son. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So we've been glorified and we've been given glory. And it also says in Romans 8 that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God in the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So Jesus prayed and said, I give it to them. He's given it to us. Paul said that we've been glorified already. And as well, that creation is longing for us to be glorified. So we have glory now. We've been glorified when we've received the glory of God, the gospel. And we will be glorified in the future. It's our inheritance. The glory of God is the inheritance of the children of God. as what he has for us, his glory, all of his presence, all of his being, his very name, our inheritance is God's glory. And that makes me think of a story in the Bible that Jesus told uh, about how and being an heir can change our life, how having our inheritance can change our life. The prodigal son. I'm sure we know it. There's one son in the story who, the younger son, who demands his inheritance from his father before his father has passed away. And the father freely gives that inheritance. He freely gives the inheritance. And the son takes it in that freedom and squanders it completely and however he wanted to use it. Then he comes to his senses, decides to return to the father who has already been waiting for him. And the father restores his identity as a son to him, restores that inheritance back to him, gives him a ring, gives him a robe, gives him the fattened calf. He restores it to him, squandered in freedom, but restored to him. Then there's another son, the older son, who stayed with the father all this time and worked dutifully, but doesn't seem to use his inheritance, doesn't seem to recognize the one who has inheritance for him. And when he complains to the father, why have you done this for my younger brother when I have been with you all this time? And yet he comes back and you give even more to him. And the father says this, and it's really good. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I seem to be that the, the oldest brother needed to remember that. You've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. What are you complaining about? All that I've given to the younger brother, that's yours too. But as I was reading it for this morning, it made me think, well, shouldn't there be a third son in the story? And then I realized there is a third son in the story that I've missed all along. The son telling the story. Jesus. The one who has always been with the Father and is still with the Father now. The one who learned from the Father. 
who knows what it is to have his full inheritance, who recognizes the Father, the one, the only one who has seen the Father, Jesus. And that's the kind of relationship that we want with the Father, the one that Jesus has. That's the one he's given us, the access to full inheritance, so that we all probably know what it's like to receive that inheritance from God that all people have access to, but to squander it. The, life, the very life and grace that God gives us, and we can squander it, but we can always return to him. And perhaps we know what it's like to work dutifully, but perhaps to have forgotten who it is that we are working dutifully, dutifully for and everything that he has is ours. Not everything that we have on earth is everything that we have. There is things in heaven for us. Glorious things. And this should transform us, knowing God's glory, seeing God's glory, recognizing God's glory. It's transformational in our lives. Moses on the mountain said to God, show me your glory. And God, God's presence, his glory passed by him. And he couldn't see all of it. He could only see the back of it. He had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock. And from that comes all the stuff that we read in, in the start of the Bible about how Israel should live. God gave Moses the wisdom to lead. When previously the Israelites had worshipped the golden calf. But from that, show me your glory. And he's given the wisdom to lead. And later, Elijah on the mountain hears God's glory as a small voice. Once again, hidden in the cleft of a rock. And it wasn't in the fire, and it wasn't in the wind, and it wasn't in the earthquake. God's glory was in a small voice, and it gave Elijah the perspective to do what God wanted. Finally, Jesus on the mountain, joined by Moses and Elijah, not hidden this time, but with his closest disciples with him. And he's transformed, transfigured, metamorphosized into bright, shining glory, God's Shekinah glory. And a voice says, this is my son. Listen to him. God's glory transforms us. When we recognize it, when we see it, when we feel it, when we hear it, it brings transformation into our lives. But transformed into what? or more accurately transformed into who? In 2 Corinthians, it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil that previously we've had is removed. And the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. And a being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of God, we are transformed into the same image. That is Jesus from one degree of glory to another. We were praying this morning. There's always more degrees of glory. There's always more degrees of glory. So first, how do we do this? 
we need to turn to the Lord. We can't find glory within ourselves. We can't make it ourselves. We have to receive it from God. Glory is God's. And he's great, gracious enough to give it to us. But it's not necessarily something that we can generate by just working really hard. And we need to receive glory to give glory. We turn to the Lord like the prodigal son, or we return to him and have our inheritance restored to him, restored to us, to be adopted as a child. All people have freedom to do what they want, but God's freedom is the freest freedom, the only freedom. And then we can start that journey of beholding him, looking at him, seeking his words, seeking his presence. We're going to do it this morning in prayer and in worship. We're going to recognize his glory in this place, in this room, in each other, in yourselves. God's glory in you. And we just start that journey of recognizing it, of finding that, of finding God's glory. And as we find it, as we see it in his word, in each other, in ourselves, and we start to look more and more like that. We are what we spend our time with and looking at. And we know that. We know the, the, the way the people we spend time with can change us. The things that we watch on TV can change us. The food that we can eat can change us. And as we spend time gazing on him and seeing his glory, beholding his glory, we are transformed into that same image. then we'll find, yeah, as we recognize the Father, we realize everything he has is ours. It's like looking in a mirror. And this process, it doesn't stop until we, Jesus returns and we get those new bodies, those heavenly bodies, those glorious bodies that we've been promised in that glorious place that we've been promised. It's our inheritance. You know, we talk about God's glory. We also talk about heaven as glory. It's our inheritance. You know, we're we're looking forward to it. John puts it like this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And that is, I can't remember what it is, 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 I can't remember who said it, and I think Steve said it recently in one of his messages on WhatsApp, it's that the chief uh, purpose of, of people, of Christians, is to enjoy God's presence and, and behold him. I can't remember it properly, I hadn't written it down. But it is, this is what our journey is, is just finding God's glory. You know, we recognize it in things, and, and we can give it back to him as well. Once we've received it, we can give it back to him. And that's the thing. Isaiah 60, what we've based, what the church has based its vision on. Arise, shine, 
For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. We know that. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Are people seeing his glory upon us? And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And I know it's a word for, Isaiah, uh, for Israel. What is it a word for us too as the church? Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. We've been given God's glory for a purpose. It was his secret in ages past that not even the angels knew that he was going to give his glory to his people. That was his plan for the church to be full of his glory. And like the older brother, we might feel a bit indignant or a bit left out or a bit uh, overlooked. But we need to remember, the father says, my son, my daughter, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. There's no if, there's no but. It's just that process of gazing on him and recognizing it within ourselves. This morning, God gave me this word. And it's definitely a word for us, but for me, but I hope it's a word for us too. And I saw a wall, brick by brick, that had been built up. And it's, the wall's real, it's there. But it's power and it's strength for an illusion. There is no power or strength in the war. It's made of, up of experiences and excuses and lies that we've believed. And it started out as one brick and it's built up. But because of the cross, there's no cement holding these bricks together. They're just placed upon one another. And in between the gaps, the glory of the Lord is shining through. My prayer is that this morning we'd let Jesus brick by brick and continuing, continually on as he glorifies us, that he's punching through the bricks and removing them to let the glory shine in. And that is the process of glorification. So let's turn to God this morning in worship and as we're ministered to and as we take communion, let's gaze on his presence, gaze on his glory and be transformed, be given new perspectives, new revelation, new power. Let's shine as the church.